0: Well, praise the Lord. I've got a good message here, and I'm going to do my best to keep to my notes and not chase off on the rabbit trails. Uh, We're going to jump in and, and go through some places that the Lord has put on my heart. This is a message that has been a long time in the coming. And the Lord put some extra things that I've wanted to insert in there. So let's move forward into this. Galatians 6 verses 7 through 8. This is a very misunderstood passage. It says, Be not deceived, God will not be mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. And we look at that and we say, You see, mercy is a little bit overrated. God is about you getting what you deserve, right? A man reaps what he sows. It says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. You get what you sow, but it's very important to read this in context. The very next passage, the very next sentence, Paul says, for if you sow into the flesh, you will of the flesh reap destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, you will of the spirit reap life. It's very clear here that Paul is talking about two different realms, two different planes, two different places of sowing and reaping. And in each one of those places, you will reap what you sow. But the question is, which realm, which area, which place are you sowing and reaping? Paul spends the entire book of Galatians explaining what the spirit versus the flesh is, and he lays it out very plainly for us so that he could come to this fulcrum here in Galatians chapter 6. At the end of all of that, he says, which one of these are you going to sow to? Let me give you a brief overview of what the book of Galatians teaches about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh, the realm and the, the field, the soil that you could sow in of the flesh and the soil that you could sow in of the spirit in Galatians chapter three, he says, the flesh are the works of the law who deceived you. O Galatians, the flesh equals the works of the of the law you taking matters into your own hands and trying to earn your salvation apart from Jesus and he says the spirit on the other hand very clearly is hearing and believing hearing God's word and believing resting in the in the promise that he's going to take care of it he's got salvation covered not me In Galatians chapter 4, fast forwarding to that, the flesh is compared to Ishmael. We all know the story of Abraham and how he took matters into his own hands and created Ishmael. And then there was Isaac, which is the spirit. Isaac is called the spirit, which is hearing and believing. Hearing God's promise, believing that God's going to do it, and resting in that. God's got it, not me. I'm not taking matters in my own hands. I'm not creating an Ishmael. God's gonna do it. By the time we get to Galatians chapter 5, the flesh is listed out as a great many number of immoralities. And notice that they are called the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality and debauchery and he goes on and he lists a whole bunch of immorality. And then he turns around and he says, but the fruit of the spirit, not works of the spirit, fruit. Fruit means you just abide in the vine. The vine does all the work. We rest. That's what sin, that's exactly what sin is anyway. People think that Galatians 5 kind of contradicts. Galatians chapter 3, it's not a contradiction, okay? It calls the works of the law, and then it turns around and it says, works of immorality. Now, listen, the reason why they're both works is because even immorality, it's works. It's essentially you saying, you know, God promises, I'll be your satisfaction. I will be your fulfillment. And you say, God, I don't believe that. I'm taking matters into my own hands. And I'm reaching out, and I'm pursuing the, the sex, drugs, and partying. I'm, I'm pursuing the revenge and the bitterness and the stealing and the murder. And I'm taking matters into my own hands, thinking that this will get me some kind of fulfillment. When God says, no, I'm your fulfillment, and you're saying, I don't believe that promise, God. I'm taking matters in my own hands. And it's the same spirit in, in Galatians chapter 3. Where the religious person says, I'm going to work out my salvation through the works of the law. I'm going to get saved by what I do through circumcision, through observing the Jewish holidays, through, through the Ten Commandments or whatever it is. It's the same mentality. You're saying, God, there's a promise there of salvation, but I don't believe it. I need to do my own works. That's the flesh. So I wanna talk about that today. Overall, okay, I want you to think of two different categories here. The flesh is works. It's striving. It's I take matters in my own hands. It's toil. It's doing in order to be. I've gotta earn it. And over on this side, I want you to see spirit. The spirit is rest. The spirit is hearing God's promises and believing them and saying, God, you've got this. I don't want to do this. You've you've got this. It's in your hands. You take control of the steering wheel. It's all on you. You take charge of this. It's about identity. It's not doing in order to be. It's I already am. And the good works flow from that. There is a flow. Okay, And it comes easy because when you know who you are in Christ, it's his goodness that leads to repentance. Amen. Hallelujah. That is so good. Good works flow from your identity. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 2. I'm preaching today about sowing and reaping in case you haven't caught that, but sowing and reaping in the spirit, not sowing and reaping in the flesh. As Galatians six lays out, you could sow and reap in the flesh or you could sow and reap in the spirit. Which one is it going to be? You will reap whatever you sow. Whichever garden you plant in, there will be a harvest. So I suggest you start sowing in the spirit. See, the true work of the cross is restoration to the original state of rest. Amen. I believe that. Let's go ahead and start there. Mark chapter 4, verse 2. Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them this teaching Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. It happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came. They devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up, it increased, and produced 30-fold, 60-fold, And a hundredfold. There's three different scenarios here that are negative before we get to the one positive where we actually get a harvest. And that fourth one is called good soil. Now, I want to ask you where in this fallen planet is there anything called good soil? It's all cursed. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, it was cursed, and there's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles, there's going to be rocks, there's going to be toil, there's going to be pain, there's going to be heartache. The only way, the only place in the Bible that you could find good soil... Is going back before the curse of Genesis chapter 3. And I want to take you back there to see. Because I believe that God, what he did through Jesus Christ on the cross. Is restoring that original place. Before the curse. Before the the sin came and destroyed everything. I want you to see how it was. Let's take a look at that. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. After he made man, it says, the Lord God, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Who, let me ask you this. Who planted the garden? The Lord God. Who planted it? So I want you to notice a pattern here. God does all the work of creation the first five days. He does all the work. And when rest is ready to take place on the seventh day, that's when man gets introduced into the scene in a state of rest. And not only that, but God does all the work. He put him in a garden. Who planted the garden? God did. He did all the work. I want you to notice this. This is very crucial. It says... When he first created the earth, that there was nothing planted there. Why? Because there was not a man to to till the soil, to do the work. But God says, okay, I'm going to do the work. That was the covenant that he had with man all the way back at the beginning. That's the way that it was supposed to be from the very start, was God does all the work. He says, I've got this. You just need to rest You just need to enjoy. You just need to steward. You just need to figure out how to spend all of the bounty and all the goodness from my provision. But how many know that the first sin, wasn't that exactly what the first sin was? Was God saying, uh, or or man looking at God, listening to that serpent and saying, you know what? I I think I got this, God. God. I, I think I'm, I'm tired of waiting for, for your promises. I think that you're holding back on me, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And there was this thing called the flesh that was created, the curse of Genesis 3. Who, whose idea was Genesis 3 curse? It was man's. See, the dominion that God gave man all the way back in Genesis 1.26, he gave him complete dominion. And with that dominion, that's what man did, was he said, God, I don't like this system you have. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And the curse of Genesis 3 was basically God saying, okay, you get what you wanted. You're going to do the work now. You're going to see what that's like, and God wants to restore. He had it in mind all along through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wanted to restore that relationship that we had. In fact, you know, the term born again, when Jesus said, you must be born again. Some translations of the Bible say born again, others say born from above. Why the difference? It's because in the Greek, the word again and the word from above mean the same thing. The word again essentially means from the top, from heaven, okay? Another way of translating it could be, you need to be born, you need to go back to the ancient heavenly paths, okay? You need to ascend back up into heaven, go back to the original way that things were intended to be that God meant for them to be. That's what it means to be born again. That's always what God's intention was for us. God did all the work that was his original design. I want you to notice something. God never cursed man. He cursed the soil. He didn't curse man. He cursed the soil. He didn't curse the woman. He cursed childbearing. Okay? There was only one person that he directly cursed, and that was the serpent. He turns to the serpent, and he says, you're lower than anything else. I'm taking it all away. All your power is taken away. But I want you to notice that dominion, that man had in Genesis 1, God never took that away. He cursed the soil. He never took away his dominion. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Let me put that on a shelf. Stick that on the back shelf for now. We'll get back to that again. The parable of the, of the sower is basically a layout of God's design of wanting to reverse the curse in your life to get you back to good soil, back to God, doing everything in your life, doing all of the work and us entering into rest. Praise the Lord. I want to give some examples of the curse being reversed. Let's go through these again one by one. Can you bring up Mark chapter four again? There was three different examples of the curse Okay, you'll notice that these line up very well with the curse of Genesis chapter 3, do they not? The very first curse is the bird, the devil coming stealing the word, that's the serpent. The next cursed is the the seeds falling on stony ground. Okay. That means that there's there's going to be there's no such thing as an easy free lunch, okay? That means you're going to do something and it's gonna seem like it's easy. But it's going to turn out, it's going to spring up, the sun's going to wilt it, it's going to go away, and you're going to think, oh, man, there is no such thing as easy. If there's going to be gain, there must be pain. I must get down and uproot those stones. There's pain in childbearing and being fruitful. There must be that pain. The third scenario here It lines up pretty well with the curse of man, doesn't it? The thorns. What was Adam's curse? The soil is cursed on account of you. There's thistles, there's thorns. There's gonna be toil. What do those thistles symbolize? It's the worries and cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches as Jesus went on to, to give that example. Everything that is the flesh. Didn't Jesus say, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand any parable? There's two fields that you can sow in. What, are, what, what field are you going to sow in? Are you going to sow to the flesh or are you going to sow to the spirit? Are you going to do the work or is God going to do the work? Because nowhere, when we get to good soil, nowhere does it say that we're the ones that made it good soil in that parable. I don't see that. We got to good soil, and it's got, and you know, it was because somebody got a tractor and did all the plowing. They did all this work and toil and heavy la- It doesn't say that. It just says there's good soil, and it brought forth a harvest. Can you understand that? You want good soil, Amen. And that good soil is what God wants us to get back to as well. I want to talk about three different areas based on this guideline, three different areas that God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has restored us back to the place before the curse of Genesis 3, not just the curse of the law. Every curse was taken care of by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Every lack, every insufficiency, every barrier between God and man was erased at the cross of Calvary. Amen. See, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this here is because this is something that has changed my life individually. I know it works because I've worked with with doing things on my own, taking matters into my own hands, trying and striving, thinking that those were the things that got me straight with God, that got me brownie points with God. And it wasn't until I stepped into his rest and I saw it for what it truly is. That's what will change a life. I know that. When God takes over, when he takes the wheel of your life, And he steps in and he does the work. That's when you're going to see the difference. Rely on him. Trust in him. He's got a promise. He's got an identity that he's spoken over your life. Stand on that. Believe on that. That is the work that you do. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us labor to enter into rest. You want to do some work? Work to rest work to enter into that rest, work to believe on Jesus, to trust him completely. That's our works. Amen. I want to start out with man's man's curse. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 31, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read this very briefly. Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, Hey, you're worn down and you're weary and you're burdened by just doing the things that you need to do to live. Like the curse of Genesis three said, hey, there will be toil, there will be work, there will be pain just to eat, just to exist. And he says, all of those things do the people that are outside of the covenant with me, they chase after those things. But if you're in covenant with me, says the Lord, You don't have to chase after those things. I know you have need of those things. But you could enter into rest. Seek my righteousness. And you could walk in that. That curse is reversed. Amen? Now, this is a revelation that that came to me a little later in life. But it is a doozy of a revelation, okay? Because notice he didn't say quit your job, okay? But rest is a frame of mind. Did you know that? Here's a revelation. I want you to get this. Rest and work can both look like the same thing. Do you know that? The spirit and the flesh could both look like the same thing, you know? Somebody who's doing things with the right motivations and a Pharisee who's doing it out of works could both be doing good works and look like they're doing, from the outside, it could look like the same thing. Rest and work could look like the same thing. There are fishermen that do fishing for leisure, and there are fishermen who do it for a job. What's the difference? The difference is completely the frame of mind. One's doing it for a living because I have to put food on the table. The other one's doing it because I get to. Okay. What is, in fact, I can't name any rest that doesn't also have a form of work around it. (laughs) And any work that that can't be a leisure thing to somebody else. It could all cross over. And the only difference is the frame of mind. And that's what God wants you to enter into here. He wants you to enter into rest. Once you pick up that, I guarantee you this will change your job. It will change your marriage. It will change your life once you step into God's rest for you. It still looks the same on the outside, but God is showing you, hey, I'm in control. You don't have to take the care. You don't have to take the worry. I've got it. It's in my hands. Amen? That's good stuff. One of the main reasons why Jesus went to the cross, I'm talking about from a physical, uh, literal, okay, it was the Romans that hung him up on the cross, but it was the Pharisees that betrayed him there. And one of the main reasons why they betrayed him, one of the things that made them hate Jesus so much was because he would heal people on the Sabbath day. You remember that amongst many other things. They would say, you're doing work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus never, ever did work. He never broke the law. He never never broke the Old Testament law even once. But here's the difference. Jesus looked at the miraculous power of God as rest. They viewed the miraculous power of God as work. How are you viewing it? Are you walking in rest? Praise the Lord. This next one's a little controversial. You okay okay with that? All right. The elders of the church, Pastor Paul, will correct me next week and set me straight. These guys are awesome. He keeps you on track. That's what the Bible says, right? You know, elders need to weigh things and and keep you on. You guys have an awesome pastor here. But I'm going to... And, uh, (laughs) but I'm going to say something that's a little bit out there is okay that I push the envelope a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Because this next one, I want you to turn to first Timothy chapter two and verse 13. Oh, it's controversial. Oh, we're talking about how God set us free from the curse. You know, there's a a doctrine going around that uh, women are not to be pastors. They're not to speak up in church. They're not to do, you know, I I, I could break all that down. You know, many Jewish scholars question where where was Paul really going with all that? Because you won't find it in the Old Testament. The only place that you will find it is in the curse of Genesis 3, where something was mentioned about the woman being uh, sub, you know, being submitted to a man or being under a man—that's the only place that you will find it in the Old Testament. And yet, there's several places where he goes on like this. And uh, these, there's doctrines that are built on this. Now, First um, Timothy, chapter two, verse fifteen. It says this, but she shall be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith and love and sanctify- sanctification with sobriety. Now, even the most staunch believers of the doctrine that a woman is to shut up and not be a pastor in church. You ask them, how many of you believe that a woman is saved through childbearing? None of them would raise their hands. You got to go g- get out there and make some children. That's how you get saved. All right. All right. And if you're, if you're not able to, all right, Siri, be quiet. <laughs> Siri needs to be quiet in church, all right? <laughs> every, every other woman, no. <clears throat> Where was I at? Okay. Um, childbearing <laughs> is not what saves you. There's all this doctrine about we're saved by grace through faith. And then when you become a woman, suddenly it's about you have to bear children. And if, I guess if you're, if you're unmarried or you're infertile, well, too bad for you, you're not saved. How many of you believe that? No reason that it's in the word of God here. It's a mistranslation, okay? Well, what are you, some kind of language expert? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am, I suppose. I spent a half a decade uh, in in translational. Uh, well, I I don't need to prove myself. You can look this up yourself, okay? What it should say: the word "through." She is saved through the Greek word "dia," dia, where we get diameter. Okay, through it means across. It means as she. What it should be translated as is: she is delivered as she passes through the curse of childbearing i'm paraphrasing what it should be saying but he's talking about the curse if you go to verse 14 verse 13 he's talking about the curse of genesis chapter 3 and he sums it all up by saying she is delivered from that curse if she's born again hallelujah How's that for controversial? You see a bad translation gets through and it just sticks from translation to translation for hundreds of years. People believe it. Look now, now don't get me wrong here. Okay. There's laws and there's higher laws. Okay. There's justice, but mercy overrides justice in the spirit realm. There are higher laws here, okay? So there is a law going on here in the flesh. Under the curse of Genesis three, there's that law, if you wanna live under that law. But I'm sorry, in Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female. Hello? Come on, the women ought to be shouting here, okay? (laughs) You're set free from that curse. Do I believe a woman could be a pastor? You bet I do. Wow. Send your emails to that man right there, okay? Controversial. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. God set us free from every curse. Amen. The serpent's curse. I want to talk about that finally here. Again, I said this before, the serpent was the only one that was personally cursed as being lower than anybody else. Kenneth Hagin put it this way. He said, the devil has no power other than what we give him. Let me say that again. The devil has no power other than what we give him. Can we talk about spiritual warfare a little bit here? If the devil has no power over us other than what we give him, then it serves to logic that the mindset, the devil is not the the real enemy here. The real enemy is our mindsets and our stinking thinking that gives him the power to begin with. The mentalities that open up the door that allows him to walk in to begin with. And that is why when we talk about spiritual warfare, the biggest passages in the Bible that we always go to for spiritual warfare don't necessarily talk about dealing with the devil, but talk about dealing with this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down what imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Notice it doesn't say casting down demons and the devil. It says casting down imaginations. That's everything in here. This is what you need to fix. This is what repentance is all about. The biggest message in the Bible about getting saved is what do you need to do? Cast the devil out? No. Repent. Change your way of thinking. Greek word, metanoia. That means change your thoughts. Fix this. Your imaginations. Every thought that comes up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's your spiritual warfare right there. Another really misquoted passage is in Ephesians chapter 6 it says for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the devil and demons i hear people just go ahead and replace it with that all the time the devil and de- it doesn't say the devil and demons If Paul meant that, he would have written that. What he said was principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Okay, the third one there, he lists it number three as the devil and entities. But primarily, principalities, what that means are thoughts, mentalities, mindsets. They're collective acknowledgments. We're talking about cultural influences. We're talking about uh, 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 regional strongholds, okay, that exist in the way that people think. That's what we come against. That's where the warfare is. Principalities. It's actually a good translation of that word because the, the word principality, it comes from the term principle. It means the base foundational thing. And it's talking about mindsets, the principal things that people believe. Principalities and powers. What are powers? Let me ask you this. What makes a king powerful? Authority. Is it because he's bigger and stronger physically and he could beat people up? authority, and authority is encapsulated in a thing called a collective mindset. Really, that's all that it is, is acknowledgement. In the spirit realm, acknowledgement is enablement. What you acknowledge, you enable. That's why I, I teach about honor here, because what you honor, what you give honor, you are enabling. You're sending something out, you will get back. And that's what power is. That's what makes a king a king is nothing more than the acknowledgement of everybody around him in a specific region that says he's our king. Their acknowledgement is his power. What do you empower with your acknowledgement? See, I'm bringing, that, I'm bringing that up because I remember when the revelation came to me that exactly what Kenneth Hagin says and I always got that. Oh, yeah, we, we, uh, the devil has no power over us other than what we give him. And, but it never really sunk in. And then the Lord hit me with this revelation. No, Robert, I don't think you understand. The devil really has no power. And I'm like, not really? What? And the first place my mind went to is probably the first place that your mind is going. Is you're thinking, what about in, in Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4, in fact, did I I give you that scripture? Matthew chapter 4, bring it up. Yeah. I thought, Matthew chapter 4, what about that, God? The devil took you up to an exceeding high mountain, showed you all the kingdoms of the world, and said, all these things I will give you. In another another version of it, in Luke, he says, I'll give these things to you because I have the power over them. I could say whatever I want, and it will be done. And if I was like, God, if that was a lie, then why didn't you correct the devil? Why didn't you say, 'Uh uh-uh, liar, liar, pants on fire, you don't have that power. If it's true that the devil doesn't have that power, then why didn't you say that? And he said, you didn't read far enough. You didn't read far enough. What does he say at the end there? I have all these things. I will give them to you if you fear me. Here it says worship. But worship and fear are interchangeable. You see, the devil only has power through fear. That's how we open up the door. And you might say, well, it says worship. Well, you know, Jesus answered him and says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. But if you take your finger and stick it in your Bible and turn back to Deuteronomy where Jesus was quoting, in the same Bible, it will say, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him only. See, there's this... uh, there's this man named Chris Valentine. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's with Bethel. He's a pastor over with Bethel, and he wrote a book about spiritual warfare because God took him through a lot of this stuff. And uh, he had to learn a lot of this stuff the hard way. And one of the things that was happening to him on a regular basis is he would wake up randomly in the middle of the night and a demon, a tall, dark demon with glowing eyes, was staring at him at the foot of his bed, just staring at him, and he was terrified. (laughs) That would be quite a harrowing thing to wake up and see that. But he's terrified, paralyzed in fear. And it got to the point where he would be afraid to go to bed because it was random. When is this thing going to come back? You know, he never knew when it would come back. And he says, I tried rebuking it in the name of Jesus. Chris is, Chris is a, he's a Christian. He tried rebuking it in the name of Jesus. He tried quoting scripture to it. He tried, he tried everything. He tried praise and worship. And then one day the Holy Spirit said to him, hey, you're doing all those things, but you're doing them with a heart of fear. You need to lose the fear. Just because something's coming out. You know, what's, what's in your heart? And so he went to bed. The demon shows up, and he looks at him, and he says, look, I don't care if you go or if you stay. I will not fear you anymore. And the thing dissolved, disappeared. And it never came back again. The next morning, the Lord brought him to this passage in the book of Peter that says, Neither being terrified of our adversary, which is a sign to him of his perdition, but of our salvation. Amen. Nowhere are we to fear the devil. If you ever see the devil, don't fear him. I'm sorry, he doesn't deserve that. Show me any place in the word of God where the devil shows up pretending to have some kind of power. And I will show you in the context of that passage that it's fear that brings him that power. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, I'll give you an example, okay? It calls him the one who has the power over death. In the very next sentence, it says, who rules through the fear of death, which Jesus took away, amen? We don't have to walk in fear of the devil. We've been set free from the fear of the devil. Amen? And remember, this was all the way back in the curse of Genesis 3. He didn't have any power back then. And there's a certain amount of power that people have just for being human. But how much more exponentially do we have power when we're in Jesus Christ? We have dominion over this earth, over this universe, but in Christ, we have dominion outside of the universe. It just, it'll just it blow your mind how much Christ has set us free, and plus, through Christ, we have the ability to take a stand through no condemnation and no fear, through the one who took, who took the penalty for our sins, who took the condemnation for us. There's no leg for the devil to stand on. The accuser of the brethren has had his legs chopped off. Amen. We've been set free from that curse of Genesis chapter 3. That's what sowing and reaping ought to look like, okay? You want to stick over here with doing things on your own to get what you have coming to you? And in doubt, sowing these seeds of, well, God, I don't think that you're going to come through, so I'm going to take matters in my own hands. If you sow in that field, you will of that field reap destruction. There's an end to it. There's an end. It's not eternal. If you want eternal and you want life, sow into the Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Clap, shout, scream, say something. Hallelujah. That's good. Praise the Lord, Stephen. How am I doing on time? I gotta know. Is it like it's not one o'clock? Is it? <laughs> okay, okay. I'm gonna wrap up here. Um, you guys are amazing. You're awesome. I thank God for each and every one of you, and I hope that uh, you guys have have gotten something that could help you today through the Holy Spirit. It's not me speaking. I know I've say, said some controversial things here. But uh, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. He'll guide you into all truth and the truth of his word. Amen. God is good and he will set you free from the curse of Genesis chapter 3. I like that, how that rhymes. But uh, he'll set you free from every curse. Amen. Amen. There's no limit in Jesus Christ when we just rest in him. Amen. Let us labor to enter into that rest. Father, we thank you. For what you're doing here, for the revelations that you're opening our eyes to, God, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge poured out, God. You're revealing to us all of the things that belong to us in Christ Jesus so we could walk them out now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We could walk them out, and you give us the power and the wisdom. It's you that does it. God, we want all of you. We surrender ourselves. We stop looking at ourselves. We'll boast in our weaknesses, God, because then you are made strong. Then your power is perfected. God, that's, that's the life that I want to live is a life in you. You do everything. You worked far too hard. You took too many stripes on that cross for me to ignore it and to continue doing things my own way. I won't do it anymore. Let none of us do it anymore. God, let's just raise our hands here and give him worship. Father, we thank you. Just lift up a song of praise to him. Hallelujah. God, you are so good. We thank you for all that you're doing. We honor you in this place. We honor your word. We honor your promises. We honor everything that you did on the cross. We take that to heart now, Father. We want more of you. We surrender our lives to you now, Father. God, that's the only thing that could take away the pain, that could heal us, that could set us free from the addictions, that could set us free from the anxiety, that could set us free from the bitterness, God. We accept it now in Jesus' name. Have your way. Have your way now. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. However you tuned in today, why don't you subscribe and maybe share with a friend? Yeah, and if you're in the area, we would love to have you join us in person Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. right here in Menominee, Wisconsin. Also, we would be honored if you would consider partnering with us financially to help make this all possible. And you can do that at wearelovechurch.com. These are great days to be alive. Thanks for tuning in today. God bless you, we love you. See ya.